Hi, my name is Dominic Graziano, and I'm on media staff. You're listening to week eight of the Falls Creek podcast. The speaker this week was Ed Newton. And as you're being seated tonight, we're grateful that you're in the house of God. I hope you had an amazing day today. An amazing day. We've talked about several things already this week in regards to the mystery of who God is. Understanding not only the mystery friends, four particular friends we don't know by name that would care and demonstrate concern and compassion and reveal their commitment to bring their friend to Jesus. We talked about the mystery condition of the woman with the blood flow problem. We talked about the mystery interruption that is Jairus interrupting Jesus as Jesus was interrupted by the woman with the blood flow problem, thus interrupting death, come on, that's a good word, interrupting death and giving life because he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus flipping the script, amen. But tonight I want to talk about sermon title, Mystery Reaction, Mystery Reaction. That is, the past several nights I've been preaching verse by verse. That's called exegetical. Don't be impressed by big words. We use big words all the time, like peppermint mocha. We use big words all the time. But exegetical means verse by verse. But tonight I want to take a more of a topical approach, which means we're going to hopscotch to some different verses. Our minister's illumination, magnification will put these verses on the screen. And praise God for these men and women that make that possible. Come on, can we just give them a hand clap of praise? Appreciate them. Amen. But let me explain to you what I mean by mystery reaction. By just a simple illustration, my daughter, her name's Lola, when she was little, we went to the dentist office, and as we went to the dentist office, by the way, our dentist, his name was Dr. Crunk, it's a great name. And Miss Crunk worked behind the counter, and we were on our way from the dentist office to run some more errands, and when my daughter Lola, it was just she and I at the time, When my daughter Lola bent over, some Care Bears popped out of her pocket. Now those Care Bears, which by the way, we love Care Bears. I'm not against Care Bears, but those Care Bears were not our Care Bears. Those Care Bears were the community Care Bears that is in that treasure chest in the lobby of Dr. Crunk's dental office that my daughter felt as if that she needed to adopt and put into our family. She put them in her pocket, and when I confronted her on the Care Bears that popped out of her pocket, it was at that moment that I realized she didn't just have like one or two Care Bears, she had a whole family of Care Bears in her pocket. But when I confronted my daughter Lola on the mystery Care Bears, it was at that moment when I asked the question, I said, Lola, where did those Care Bears come from? Here's the mystery reaction. I don't know. As if those Care Bears somehow, some way, have climbed up your leg, is what I said to her, and jumped in your pocket. And as we got into our really cool minivan and began to drive back to the dentist office, I began to adjust the rearview mirror and I said, Lola, here's how this is going to go down. You're going to memorize this phrase, and when we get to the dentist office, you're going to say word for word what we've memorized. Are you ready? She said, Yes, Daddy. It was at that moment I said, Lola, now listen. And she says, now Lola, listen. I said, no, don't don't memorize that part. I need you to memorize this part. Hi, my name's Lola. I stole Care Bears. I'm sorry. So we rehearsed that. She memorized that. 
We finally get into the lobby at the dentist office. Miss Crunk comes from behind the counter. She said, Ed, is everything okay? I said, listen, my daughter Lola wants to talk to you. And then Miss Crunk gets down on one knee and says, Lola, what is it, sweetie? And then Lola, without even hesitating, deliberating, procrastinating. It was at that moment that Lola said this, hi, my name's Lola, and we stole Care Bears, and we're sorry. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Miss Crunk gave me that mean, mu mu mean mug look of just like, uh, What's going I said, I promise you, Ms. Crunk, I had nothing to do with this. This is all on Lola. And then the Spirit of God just spoke into my heart. What I mean by that is the message of God just dropped a message in my mailbox and went, Ed, how many times do you blame your junk on everybody else? That's the mystery reaction we're going to talk about tonight. Why is it that our reaction when God begins to deal with us about our junk is to either go, I don't know, when we really do know, and then do something that for many of us will fall into this category of rationalizing, justifying, capitalizing, or even moralizing. Now I want to do something real quickly, and I need everybody to raise their right hand. Would you just be willing to do this? And I want you to make a, a number one finger. Everybody get ready. Just I want you to feel the P90X burn for a second. Just, just hold it there for just a moment. And I want you to repeat after me. I will tell the truth. Come on, I need you to demonstrate a little bit more passion. I will tell the truth. The whole, truth. the whole truth, nothing but the truth, but the so help me God. Now keep that P90X burn going on for just a moment. I'm going to ask our minister's illumination, magnification to put Galatians chapter 5 and some verses on the screen. I'm going to turn to see if these verses will end up on the screen. Hang with me. Let's see if we can get Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 on the screen. And right here behind me is not a comprehensive, y'all still with me? Keep your hands raised is a comprehensive list, or excuse me, not a comprehensive list, but just a short list of a few sins. There's many more sins that could be on the Bible that are mentioned in this section of the Scripture that is in God's Word, the Bible. But this is a list. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. On the count of three, there is a description that is sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then that is how that verse ends. On the count of three, I want you to point at the sin that you've either committed or the sin that you struggle with. You ready? One, two, three, point. Now, while you're pointing, and keep pointing, if that's okay, keep pointing. Here's what's happening right now. There are two, just stay with me. You're like, Ed, my, I got like my arms about to cramp. Just hang with me, I promise you. Here's what's happening right now. Number one, you know what we've just done? We've all admitted that we struggle. Can we just admit that? That none of us in this room are perfect. We, we're all pointing at something. There's nobody in this room that's got it all figured out. I'm pointing, you're pointing, we're all pointing. Second thing is this. Our natural default reaction, keep pointing for just a second, come on. Our natural default reaction is to actually think that the person behind you is tracing your finger in the direction going, they struggle with sorcery. That's what they struggle with. Like, they're struggling with sorcery. Wild parties, yep, that's her. I knew it was her. She, she's the wild partier. So you can put your hands down and could, you're like, thank you, Jesus, right? Y'all still listen and say amen. amen. What we have just done is two things. One, we've admitted we all struggle. Number two, 
we are mindful and considerate of the fact that sometimes it's okay for us to admit that we struggle. We just don't want anybody to know our business. But I believe that our churches would begin to experience revival and break out kingdom impact in our world and our lives if we would stop pretending like we got it all together. That we would stop photoshopping the realities of our lives and somehow trying to put filters on it like you're the bionic believer that jumps from one tall building to the next. That like you're the super saint with a capital S on your chest. And in our hypocrisy, here's what we have a tendency to do. And I want you to look at me. You're still listening and say amen. We look down on people because of the fact that they're not at our spiritual level. But can I just make this very clear? I say this to our church all the time in San Antonio, Texas. The only time you're ever afforded to look down on somebody is when you're helping them up. I'll say it again just in case I said it way too fast. The only time you're ever afforded to look down on somebody is when you're helping them up. That's who we are as the people of God. Ain't none of us got this figured out. I'm a work in progress. I love the song that we just sang earlier. I'm still under construction. The Holy Spirit of God is hanging a sign from my nose right now that says, pardon my dust, I'm still working on it. But praise be to God, he who began a good work in me will complete it. He wills and works for his good pleasure. That's a big word called sanctification. He has set us apart for his righteousness. We are a holy generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're kingdom people. We're kingdom people. It's who we are. Kingdom people. Now, I want to do something real quickly because I want to push the envelope tonight of authenticity and transparency. That's very difficult to do in a room of nearly 6,000 people. But I want to remind us of something, and I don't know if this is going to be on the screen or not because I didn't give this to the minister's illumination magnification, but bear with me. You've heard this before. Psalm 139 verse 14 says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in the secret, intricate, or secret places, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now listen to this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand, and I awake, and I still am with you. Now, what is that teaching us? God knows everything about you. Now, point number one, point number two, just write this down real quickly, and we're going to give you some sub-points in just a moment. Point number one, you are fully known. You are fully known. Point number two, while you still got your handy-dandy pens, that's a shout-out to Blue's Clues right now, by the way. Amen. That's where I've been living. I'm raising babies. Point number one, you're fully known. Point number two, you're fully loved. You are fully known. You say, Ed, what does that mean? There is nothing that God doesn't know about you. You're like the secret stuff. He knows everything about you. But can I just say this to you? Not only are you fully known, you're fully loved. He knows everything about you. Everything that you've done, everything that you think that nobody else knows, all those, those, those fake accounts that you've created on that social media deal, yeah, God knows those. You're like, hello, you just got all up in my business right there. God knows every deep, dark secret of your soul. There's nothing that he doesn't know. 
But can I tell you this? He's not put off by that. He's not disgusted by that. He's not disappointed from the fact of, okay, like, uh, like all of a sudden he rejects you. No, he will radically, relentlessly pursue you with an everlasting love. He'll climb up every mountain. He'll expose every lie. He'll kick down every door. That's who our Jesus is. Here's the reason why. Because it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay. Now, no, let me finish this, and then we'll clap, right? Let me say it again, because we'll, we'll clap as soon as I finish this statement. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Now we clap. Because when we got a Jesus that says you're fully known and you're fully loved, then here's what we got to do. And I want you to listen to this. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this. Whoever conceals his or her transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses or she who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. Compassion and grace and mercy flows down from the throne room of heaven when you and I will just get real and honest about our junk. And when we begin to understand who this God is and what he is revealing to us tonight in the fact that we are fully known and fully loved. Now underneath point number one, if you still got some space there, I want to kind of begin to walk through this mental gymnastics that all of us go through, myself included, when we begin to get confronted on our junk. The mental gymnastics that we somehow, someway, always do, and this is not an exhaustive list, but let me just get you to write down a couple things. Letter A underneath point number one, that is we are fully known. When God has a a tendency, as he always does, to confront us about our stuff. Letter A, here's what we sometimes will do. Mental gymnastic number one, or letter A, would be this. It's called the camouflage effect, or the camo effect, to abbreviate that for shorthand. The camo effect. You say, Ed, where do you get the camo effect from? I'm so glad you asked that question. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have been created by God. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. By the way, ladies, this should be a blessing to you. The word that was used for the creation of Adam is a distinctly different for the word for the creation of Eve. For the word that was used for Adam is the word form, but the word that was used for the creation of Eve was fashioned. It's a distinctly different word. Ladies, I thought you'd get a little bit more amped up about that. Hello, you have been fashioned. Fashioned, tailor-made. That is... Skillfully, craftily made. And when you and I begin to understand Adam and Eve in this moment, that is they were told not to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But actually that was Adam that was supposed to have passed that on to his bride. And then when they eat from the fruit, Eve eating from the fruit first, passing that on to Adam. It's in that moment that they're awakened to their nakedness. And you'll see this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Listen to this verse. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God Almighty among the trees of the garden. That's where we get the camouflage effect. You know what they did? They were hiding from God. But first of all, can I just remind us of something? That in that moment where they were hiding, God already knew where they were at. And not only that, but I just take great joy in saying this tonight. That in your hiding, God will always pursue you. He asked this question, he said, where are you? But it's interesting, now fellas, let me talk to you. God did not confront Eve in that moment. 
that God confronted Adam. And here's the reason why. Because we as men, I need you to understand something. There is equality between men and women, just different roles and responsibility. But God confronts the man because he's been called to be the head of the household. And it's in that moment that he has failed in spiritual leadership 101. That is teaching his wife to walk in the commandments of God. But he was just as guilty. But here's what he does. And you don't see it fully in this particular passage. But he begins to kind of blame God. As to say, hey God, it was just me and you. Chilling in the garden. And dude, I got sleepy. And one day... All of a sudden, I laid down to take a nap, and I woke up, and I was missing a rib. And all of a sudden, I saw this beautiful woman, and it was like, mm, mm, mm. And God, I was like, thank you. And all of a sudden, like, you told us to be fruitful and multiply, and we were like, yes. And then all of a sudden, we ended up at this tree that you told us not, not to eat from. I mean, hello, I'm just being honest, God. Why did you put the tree in the middle of the garden? Anybody else asking that question? How come you didn't put it on Mount Everest where you needed like some ropes and carabiners to get to that? But God, every day we saw the tree. And at that moment, all of a sudden, Adam's like, hey, God, this is on you. Like, it was just me and you. And I took a nap and woke up and there was a woman. Like, this is you. You know what he's doing? He's rationalizing this. Sometimes when we get confronted about our junk, we'll rationalize it. And here's what's crazy. Sometimes we'll even blame God. For the circumstances, but can I just say this? We live in a broken world, but God's not the reason for the brokenness. I need you to hear this tonight. The reason why God takes a lot of blame for some stuff that happens in our world, but God is not the cause of the crisis. He's the comfort in the crisis. Sin has entered into the world, and we got a broken God, but I know the super glue, and his name's Jesus. And he takes those broken pieces and makes masterpieces. But in our lives, in the scandal and the shame and the sin of our lives, we have to man up and woman it up and come out of the shadows and just say, God, you already know everything about me and you tell me that I am fully loved and fully known. Here's my junk. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that goes grace and mercy flows out when that happens. Let her be, write this down. Not only do we see the camouflage effect, but let her be, we see the cover-up effect. The cover-up effect. I want you to write down this reference. You can study this in a little bit. Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. They are dominating the known world. I mean, they're defeating the Canaanites, the Ammonites, Perizzites, the Micahites, the Bagelbites. I mean, he's get, they're getting all of them. I just made that up, by the way, if you were like, Micahites, Micahites, Bagelbites, Mosquito Bites. What's, no, no, I'm just making that up, all right? But the Canaanites and the Ammonites and the Perizzites, I mean, literally, I mean, they're defeating a lot of people. And then they come up on this city called Ai. It literally is spelled the way it sounds, Ai. And it's a smaller city, and so Joshua basically sends the freshman team to go defeat this particular city. And they get defeated. And then you'll hear this as Joshua begins to look at God and go, God, um, this, this is on you. Like, you, you told us to take over the land in a move into this place called the promised land. And so God, now AI has defeated us. God, this is on you. Your name is on the line. And then all of a sudden God begins to kind of lean in, gets all up in the sweet tea of Joshua. Does that make sense to anybody else besides me? Gets all up in the business of Joshua and goes, have every individual, that is every tribe come before you and ask a question. And I want you to listen to this in Joshua chapter 7. Tell me now what you have done. Do not Hide it from me. Mystery reaction. We hide. 
We have a tendency to hide. For example, when you're talking to a two-year-old and all of a sudden you go, what's in your hands? And their natural, mysterious reaction is this right here. Everybody look this way. Who taught them to do that? That is human nature. Is to hide. But when God begins to usher in transparency and authenticity, candor and realness, our reaction cannot be hide, but instead to open up our hands and go, God, you already know that I'm fully, fully exposed here. You already know. You already know what's behind my back. You already know what's in my pocket. You already know what I got going on. So you tell me if grace and mercy is bestowed upon me, I will no longer run from you, but I'll run to you. And here it is. And at that moment, Joshua goes, what are you hiding from me? And a guy by the name of Achan says this. In verse 21, when I saw the Jordans, just making sure y'all still listening. Y'all still listening? He didn't say Jordans. When I saw the spoil of a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels and silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them, and this is what he said, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Once more, mystery reaction. Everybody look this way. It wasn't this. He buries it underneath his tent. And there in that moment, God revealing that to Joshua goes, I already knew about it. So God already knows what's going on in your life. But our natural, mysterious reaction sometimes is the camouflage effect, the cover-up effect. Write down letter C. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Letter C, the concealer effect. Ladies, y'all with me on some concealer? Lord Jesus, I've never seen more concealer in my house. Three teenage daughters, my wife. I, I have been fully indoctrinated by concealer in my house. And don't think I don't dab every once in a while when I get a pimple. Hello. Come on, men. Any, maybe I need counseling for that. I just, I, I'm, like, I'm like, London, help me. I, I mean, I got a pimple that just, she's like, I got something for you, Dad. A little concealer. Praise Jesus. But what concealer does is hides. That's what it's doing. But notice this, the concealer effect. I want you to write down this reference, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12. I don't have time to completely unpack this, but you know who David is. King David, a mighty warrior. However, while the nation of Israel is off to war, the Bible would say that he was basically on his back porch. He was overlooking the city. And there's a woman by the name of Bathsheba. Have you ever thought about this? Her name's Bathsheba because she's outside taking a bath. Now, that's not the reason why she got the name Bathsheba. But she's on her back porch taking a bath, and she is fully exposed. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people would say that's Bathsheba's fault. But can I just talk to the fellas for a second? You can't help the first look, but you sure can help that second look. Come on, I'm preaching at somebody. It's called bouncing the eyes. Come on, this is real talk. I'm talking to you like you're my son right now. I need you to understand something. Men are visual creatures. We cannot help but to see stuff. We are wired that way. However, because the Spirit of God is within us and we don't want to walk in the flesh, we got a choice in that moment to look, linger, and lust, or we can bounce the eyes and walk in the fruit of the Spirit. It's at that moment. You can't help that first look, but you sure enough can help that second look. Come on, I knew I wasn't going to get an amen, but I'm going to preach it anyways, all right? I'm going to preach it anyways. Fighting for holiness up in here. 
But Joshua leading into David, David sees Bathsheba and he doesn't even check up. He basically looks to his servant and goes, bring her forward. Intimate relationship with Bathsheba. But before that happens, David's got some counsel and some counsel's like, yo, David, you understand who she is. Bathsheba is connected like I'm talking about in the family of one of his bodyguards. In the family of one of his major counselors. And David's going, I don't care. I want her. Feel, filled and consumed with lust. Long story short, I mean, the, hello, this is drama. If you ever thought the Bible was boring, you got to read it. It's in that moment where all of a sudden he tries to, here's the concealer effect. He uses his power and authority to fulfill his own legitimate need that's illegitimate. This is wrong, it's immoral, it's gross immorality, and it's sinful. But what he does in that intimate relationship with Bathsheba, she's now pregnant. He now goes and summons Uriah, her husband, back from war, tries to get him drunk to go home to Bathsheba to be intimate so it could be seen as this is his baby. But Uriah's got more character than David. And he doesn't go home. Even in a drunken stupor, he doesn't go home. And then David does this. He sends Uriah off to the front lines of battle, has him killed. And in the process of that, now looks like the hero that he married the widow woman. And now she's got a son and he's the one that perpetuates the name of Uriah. Shady is what that is. But I want you to listen to this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12. There's a man named Nathan who's a prophet who said this, For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before you in Israel before the sun. Verse 13, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. Now I'm just being straight up honest. Can I just be honest with you? Not that I haven't been honest with you, but I'm going, okay, that's awesome. He confessed. He gets grace and mercy. But what about Uriah's dad? Hello. Justice. What about Bathsheba's dad? You unlawfully took my daughter as your wife and this is shady. But can I just say this? Our God does not sweep sin underneath some rug. But that sin of David... That all of us are crying out for justice. That's why Romans chapter 3 says our Jesus is the just and the justifier. He died for those Old Testament sins. He died for New Testament sins. And Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God of all sin. No sin is swept underneath the rug. But the only way that you and I can have forgiveness to be recipients of grace and mercy, to be pardoned, to be set free is because Jesus endured the wrath of God of all sin, past, present, and future. Come on, can we clap to that tonight? Would that be all right? We clap to that. He's the just and the justifier. Letter D, write this down. It's called the censor effect. The censor effect. Camouflage effect. Mystery reaction tonight. Why is it that when we get confronted about our junk, our tendency is to camo it Cover it up, conceal it, or letter D, censor effect. Now watch this. 
John chapter 8, you'll see this in verse 7. Jesus says this to a group of religious leaders. There's been a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. By the way, can I just make this small observation? She's been drugged naked into the presence of Jesus. But if she's caught in the act of adultery, hello, it takes two to commit the act of adultery. Where's the dude? Where's the dude? The dude ain't there. Here's the reason why. Because this is a complete setup to try to expose not the woman, but to convict Jesus. But Jesus, the greatest teacher that's ever walked across this planet, here's what he would do. He would say this, you without sin, throw the first stone. And they walked away from the crowd that day from the oldest to the youngest. But it's there in John chapter 8, verse 7. You'll hear this. Let him who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Then verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9. But when they heard it. Interesting. Jesus didn't say it. He wrote it. But what did they hear that Jesus was writing? Did you catch that? He wrote something, but they heard something. That's interesting. The word that's used for wrote is graphion. It means to write. It's where we get the word graph. But it doesn't mean just to write aimlessly. It means to write specifically. The mystery, as we talk about mystery, the mystery is this. What did Jesus write in the sand? Nobody knows. But I know this. He wrote something that completely exposed every religious leader there in that moment because they would leave that circle from the oldest to the youngest. And some commentators would say this, that Jesus was writing the names of other women that they had adulterous relationships with. Hello. But our reaction, mystery reaction, just like these religious leaders that wanted to make it seem as if they had it all together, they hide. So they leave the circle. But then in that moment, Jesus, looking at the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, he looks at her and goes, where are your accusers now? And she says this, there are none. And then he would say something so liberating. Before he would say this in verse 12, he would say, I'm the light of the world. Before he said that, he said this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now don't miss this. He says, neither do I condemn you. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, oftentimes as religious, pharisaical people in this room, myself included, we have a tendency to go, go and sin no more, and then I'll say, neither do I condemn you. But that's not how Jesus said it. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, but our Religious tendency is this, I will not forgive you unless you do something for me. I'm so thankful that God's economy doesn't work that way. God doesn't say to us, hey, get your stuff cleaned up, get your stuff together, get yourself, if you will, be presentable, then I will forgive you. But instead, he says, bring everything you got to me, all the junk, all the scars, all the stuff. You just come to me and just blah, like just here it is. And he goes, I'll do something with that. But he can't do something with this. He won't do something with the camo effect. He won't do something with the sensor effect. He won't do something with the concealer effect. He won't do something with this cover-up effect. Here's what you need to know. But he will do something when you confess and go, I am a sinner in need of grace. In mercy. Write down this reference, Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. It says this 
Be sure your sins will find you out. Can I just give you, I think this is Twitter worthy right here. If, if you don't choose to deal with your sin privately before God, then God will deal with your sin publicly. If you don't choose to deal with your sin privately, God will deal with your sin publicly. You go, why would he choose to embarrass me? He's not trying to embarrass you. He's trying to save your life. He's not trying to prevent you from something. He's trying to protect you from something. And you know what that something is? Yourself. He loves you enough to get all up in your business and have some skinny white dude preacher on a stage tonight reading your mail. Helping you understand. You can either keep running with this addiction. You can keep running with this secret. You can keep running and doing what you think you've been doing because somewhere in the midst of this, you think you got everybody fooled. And my mama put a magnet on the refrigerator when I was a kid and said this, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool me. And God wants to somehow, someway hang this on the corridor of your heart and say this, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool me. But you are fully known. But here's the beautiful part of this. But at the same time, you're fully loved. Fully known. Fully loved. I want to give you a couple quick principles if you'll just write this down and I'll just get through these quickly. Point number two, you are fully loved. Confession requires humility. That's sub-point. That would be letter A if you don't mind writing that down for some of you that are just taking copious notes. I know that's a $20 word, but let's make some change out of that, right? Copious means you're just taking a lot of notes. But I need you to get this because I believe this is a matter of life and death for some of you in this room. Confession requires humility. I love what James chapter 4 verse 6 says. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Stop running. Stop camoing. Stop censoring. Stop concealing. Stop covering up. But in confession you'll find freedom and forgiveness tonight. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let her be, write this down. Not only does confession require humility, but confession usher in, ushers in healing. It is this secret that you've been keeping and keeping it somehow master locked in your heart. It's slowly killing you. Choose to come clean tonight. Calling on the name of a God who is able to forgive us of all our sin. He throws our sin into the depths of the ocean, Micah 7 says. Psalm 103 says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. But letter C, it says this in my notes, not only do we see confession requires humility, confession ushers in healing, but confession causes holiness. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just see if I can close with this. One of the principles that we live by in our home, I'm talking about Newton household. We choose not to let the wrath, that is our anger, to somehow, some way, not be dealt with so we do not let the sun set without choosing to deal with stuff. It's a principle that my wife and I have lived by, our kids live by. And so in those moments when we already know, we already got the email from the teacher. We already know what's happened. We're going to somehow step into this conversation, see if you'll own it, see if you'll man up and woman up. And in that moment, go, yeah, dad, I blew it. Yeah, mom, I blew it. In that moment, here's what we say. We ask our kids, we've tried to somehow ingrain this in them. To say, I was wrong for, fill in the blank, say it, be specific. Sometimes this is how we treat God. 
when it comes to asking for forgiveness, it's almost like our laundry bag that is that dirty hamper. Here's what we think. We got like a laundry bag filled with all kinds of sin. And we're like, okay, God forgives me. So we take the whole laundry bag and we throw it in the washer with some detergent thinking it's going to clean all the garments. The most logical thing to do is one by one we put that that is into the washer, specifically identifying that. And sometimes we just generically deal with stuff with God and go, God, forgive me. God, God wants us to be specific about our stuff. He wants to usher in forgiveness, but we got to be specific about stuff. And here's the moment in, in my kid's life. I go, here's what we're going to say. I was wrong for fill in the blank. And then we make our kids say this. Now they do this now by habit, and I'm grateful for that. Still working on my boy Lawson. But there's that moment where we say this. I want you to say this to me. Will you forgive me? Won't you say it? I was wrong for, fill in the blank, will you forgive me? And as a dad, here's what you need to know. They're saying this because I'm asking them to say, will you forgive me? So I could say over them, before you even asked for forgiveness, I already forgave you. I want them to hear these words, I'm forgiven. You say, Ed, what is the principle behind that? Here's the reason why. If they don't willingly, wholeheartedly, passionately reveal the fact that they have made a mistake and ask for forgiveness, then they'll be 37 years old blaming their junk on everybody else. We don't need more examples of people blaming their junk on everybody else. We, we, we get enough of that. God's looking for some young men and some young ladies that would go, I was wrong for fill in the blank. Will you forgive me? And God goes, yes, I already did that on the hill of Calvary where Jesus died for all your sin, past, present, and future. God wants to speak over your life tonight. You are forgiven. But sometimes when we choose not to confess our sin, it's not the fact that God's holding back forgiveness. He already gave us forgiveness on the cross. What that does for us is it puts us out of fellowship. And as a dad, an earthly dad, a frail, weak, earthly dad, when my kids are saying, will you forgive me? And I say, you are already forgiven. It's at that moment that when I say, you are forgiven. And then there's that moment where their secret, whatever it was, has been exposed. But they see this unconditional love. And now fellowship is restored. I was asked a question tonight. I was having dinner with some students. And one of the students said, Ed, how come you don't ask people to rededicate their life? I said, well, specifically, there's almost 6,000 people in here. And all of us at some point need to rededicate our life. We don't have enough counselors to process this. But every day we should rededicate our life. But what we're saying is this, is that many of these rededications, our prayer for you is that these decisions, yes, would be made in this place, but shared in your cabin. But it's during this time that we give an invitation for people to receive Jesus. Not, not a prayer of rededication. That's important. But in this moment, we're going, this is an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And when that letter C says, confession causes holiness, if you and I in this moment go, yeah, there's a whole list of sin. And I can take the laundry bag and just go, God, here it is. But can I just say this? I have fallen short of your expectation of perfection. And I pointed at some stuff. And there, honestly, if there's a longer list, I'd point out a lot of different things. And God goes, yeah. But I loved you despite your sin to send forth Jesus that would absorb the full penalty and punishment of all that sin. So that you 
could be adorned in royalty and priestly garments as a son and daughter. And tonight what we're saying is this, if anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. But it's really, it's a big statement. You are forever forgiven. I mean, that's a big deal. Forever forgiven. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like th- this, this gross sin that I've committed. Yeah, that too. My, my burden tonight is this. Why would anybody want to continue to live in this uncertainty? Why would anybody want to continue to carry whatever this may be that's slowly killing you? Instead, why would anybody tonight not just say yes to Jesus? And it blows my ever-loving mind. And now, after four nights, with every fiber in my being, I so wish I could just beg you tonight to come to Jesus. But I said it the other night, if I could talk you into it, somebody else is going to talk you out of it. But I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to some of you right now. So I want you to keep your heads up, eyes open. Everybody look right here. Let's do this. I believe some of you tonight need to have some real honest conversations with your chaperones and your sponsors and your leaders tonight about some stuff that's going on in your life. And you're a Christian. You've already given your life to Jesus. But I believe there's some stuff that needs to be talked out tonight. I, I believe some, some spiritual healing and restoration and reconciliation needs to happen. And our cabin devotion time tonight is a great place for that to happen. Could we just get real about our stuff tonight? But I also believe there's some people in this room that go, listen, I've never given my life to Jesus and I want to be forever forgiven. For those of you that are Christians, you've been forgiven. You've asked Jesus in your life, but your secret sin is keeping you out of a vibrant fellowship of relationship with Jesus. But for somebody else that's not called upon the name of Jesus, you need to be in this family. And God would say, I gave you my son to purchase you, provide for you the forgiveness that you so desperately need. And here's what we're going to do. Heads up, eyes open. If you are in this room and you're going, Ed, I'm not a Christian. And I need Jesus. I'm ready right now. Then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray that God will give you courage. I'm going to take another knee at, this, at the edge of this stage and wait for somebody to go, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus because I need this forgiveness of sin and I want Jesus as my Savior, my Lord, my Master, my Boss. So let's stand together if you don't mind. And as we stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give courage in place of fear tonight for people to respond to the invitation of becoming a Christian and a Christ follower. God, I thank you for a group of students and adults that have been so attentive. God, they have blessed me tonight by them listening so intently. But God, I believe that you're speaking beyond human ears into the hearts of people through your word and through your promise. And I pray tonight you would call people by name who need to give their life to you as Savior. Choosing to become a follower of Jesus. And I pray that fear, the worry of what other people think. God, would you allow that to go away and give such a boldness to step out from their seat and say, I want this Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to take a knee. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, you come right now. Come on. As we sing. Thanks for listening.